Let us pray. Gracious God, in just a few moments we will experience the hospitality of Christ's table. And as we do that, we will be reminded of the hospitality we are called to extend in your name and on your behalf. Help us to be open now, therefore, to the Spirit's working in our lives and in our church and in our world. Silence in us any voice but your own and transform us by the truth and power of your gospel for Christ's sake. Amen. Our gospel lesson this morning comes from the gospel according to Matthew. Beginning at the first verse of the third chapter, let us hear God's word. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him and all the region along the Jordan, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers! who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I'm not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, whether or not withstanding, we have pivoted fully from fall and Thanksgiving to winter, early winter at least, and Christmas preparations. For the church, Christmas preparations look like something called Advent. Now, we can be somewhat fundamentalist about Advent. No singing Christmas carols and worship and the like. And my Facebook feed is filled with debates on things like that, which really shows that I need a new Facebook feed. (laughs) But rather than being legalistic about Advent, I prefer to be human about it. For the church, Advent reminds us that we humans need time. 
time to prepare, time to expect, time to anticipate, time to wait. Faith in so many ways is about time and seasons and rhythm. And Advent serves as a way to give us time, the time we need to get ready. To get ready for this monumental, transformative news of love come down, of a birth that will change the world, that will serve as the fulcrum point for all time. Now, there's nothing magical about the four-week period called Advent. There is no biblical prescription for it. Lent, at least, is based on Jesus' 40-day wandering in the wilderness, a, a different kind of season to prepare and anticipate. Advent emerged later and meant as much in the early church a time to prepare for the, the second coming as the first in fact, the early church at times referred to Advent as Little Lent. And it became a time to focus on themes familiar to Lent, not so much about Christmas, more so about Good Friday. Some of us here grew up in the Roman Catholic tradition. You might remember hearing about sermons in Advent on the so-called four last things. Death, judgment, heaven, hell. Death, judgment, heaven, and hell hardly feels like a good marketing strategy for the church these days. But more than that, it can feel like a kind of a disconnect, can it not, when radio stations are playing Frosty and Rudolph and there is seeming joy all around us. Maybe that's right, but maybe not. For the church, for all of us gathered here and people gathered in places like this all over the place, we, we know something, do we not? And we have something to offer to the world, whether the world receives it or not. In that earlier tradition, each Sunday of Advent would choose one, death or judgment or heaven or hell. And we're not even doing one out of those four even on this Sunday, but it is an acknowledgement that an impulse within that long-ago tradition was spot on. It's the heart of why we prepare and anticipate in the first place. It is the reason for our anticipation and hope. We debated and discussed and even fought for centuries over what it means, but the church has agreed from the very outset about Christ's humanity. That the baby, this tiny little baby whose birth we await was in fact just that, a tiny little baby, a real flesh and blood human. Not a pretend human, not divinity dressed up like one of us, but one of us who will do all the things that babies do and who will do all the things humans do, feel and love and laugh and cry and get angry and eventually die. And that's the connection between Advent and Lent and 
while it may seem odd and even a little off-putting to think about death now in this season of festivity, I think it not odd at all. And it might even be comforting, and it might even be hopeful. Death as a part of life. Death as a part of the human experience reminds us that God is not detached and distant. Some overseer somewhere in some home office or some cosmic watchmaker who assembles the parts and winds them up and then steps back and watches time unfold. Emmanuel means God with us. With us. And incarnation means God in the flesh, human flesh, flesh and blood. What's remarkable, and it's beyond remarkable, is that of all the ways that God could have chosen to interact with the world God created, and even to redeem the world God created, God chose this way. After all was said and done, God chose to enter the world in all its messiness and chaos, in the messy and chaotic flesh and blood form of a tiny little baby. Incarnation, God with us. The link to reconciliation is strong. In Christ, Paul wrote, God was in the world, reconciling the world to himself. In Christ, God was in the world. That's how God repairs our brokenness. That's how God heals our divisions. In Christ, God with us. Incarnation. It is unconventional, yes. But it shouldn't be surprising. The prophet Isaiah, from whom Donna read just a few minutes ago, gives us a preview. And while we debate how we have foisted the Jesus story back on these words, we cannot debate God's intentions that a real live human being will come who will change everything. God's spirit will be with him in order that he is in the world with us differently, just, righteous. And we will live differently because of him, peaceably, reconciled. The wolf shall live with the lamb, we are told, and a little child shall lead them. Because of this incarnate one who will carry, who will end flesh and embody God's vision, God's hope for the world. So we shouldn't be surprised because God tells us this is how God is. John the Baptist, who still intimidates me after 2,000 years and 20-some years of ministry, John the Baptist punctuates all of that for us this morning. The kingdom of God is near, John says. Repent. People, get ready. Now John's words are sobering, of course. Again, he calls his audience a brood of vipers. Not necessarily a way to win friends or influence people. But John understands what we all know. 
that life cannot only be broken and messy, but it can be downright messed up. That the world can be messed up. Some of it beyond our control, yet some within our control. Some of our own doing, in fact. Compared to Isaiah, John delivers the message more pointedly, less poetically, but, but the message is the same. God is coming. And God is coming in the flesh to make things right, to reconcile all things with God. So preparation and anticipation, that's our task. That will look like many things. It will look like getting our hearts ready, but it will also look like getting our house in order as well. Whether comforting prophetic words or bracing prophetic words, all the words are predicated on God showing up, not like us, but as us. Karl Barth calls this the humanity of God. From the beginning, Barth wrote, God is bound to us. Bound to us, which means we're bound to God as well. I, I so appreciate that. God does not exist apart from humanity, but God becomes us. Which has far-reaching consequences. It means we anticipate what is to come to be sure. And it means we redirect now what needs redirecting in our lives, in our church, in our world. It means we live our lives differently, aware both of our own mortality, yet aware at a deeper level that our mortality is put in a different place, a different context. It, commences differently and unfolds with a different reconciled destination. Incarnation redefines the journey itself for all of us. So what does that mean, God with us? That means at least that as we face cancer or memory loss, or as we journey with a loved one who does, that God is with us. That means that God is with us, suffering when we suffer emotionally or physically or spiritually. That means that God experiences our depression or our addiction or our estrangement. That means that as our world, our broken and fearful world, seems ever more broken and ever more fearful, that God is with us, not out there somewhere, but here, with us. At a Native American water rights protest, or with an active shooter situation on a campus somewhere, or even in the hustle and bustle of this holiday season that produces joy to be sure, but produces so much more than that. The destination of Advent is Christmas, is life. Just like the destination of Lent is Easter and new life. But in between is this journey, and the journey is incarnation, with joy and gladness to be sure, and also with human challenge and human suffering, and even human death.
Our comfort comes in the form of fellow travelers. All of us. We call it the church. And our comfort is underscored by the good news that in the midst of that community, in the midst of this community, there God is. Several years ago, you might remember, there was a popular song by the singer Joan Osborne. It was called One of Us. People were outraged by it. What if God was one of us, she sang. Just a slob like one of us. Just a stranger on the bus trying to make his way home. People were outraged. How dare she use that language about God? I was not outraged because I knew God was one of us. Just a stranger on the bus trying to make his way home. We sang it in a different way last night to conclude a quite wonderful concert by the American Boy Choir after the boys had sung their hearts out last night the congregation was invited to sing oh come all ye faithful and there it was word of the father now in flesh appearing now in flesh appearing incarnation it is more than a theological doctrine it is a prophetic promise. It is a comfort and a provocation. The flesh and blood gift for which the world awaits and for which we, in hope, prepare. Amen.